Mississippi.com. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
Caterwalding. What does it mean? Caterwalding. I was up in the middle of the night, about 3.30 to 4.30, praying. Praying for a man who has been texting me and calling me, saying, I'm an evil man, I need to repent, I want to get right with Jesus. This morning as I was praying for him, I could just hear one word in the spirit. Caterwalling. Caterwalling. Now, I immediately googled the word to find out what caterwalling means. I want to share with you what caterwalling means. And then we're going to talk about it. As we continue our study today, on the life of Elijah and the Elijah Company. Now, caterwauling is a verb. Usually it has reference to the sounds a cat makes. I'm going to play for you a very short clip of a caterwauling cat. This is what this man sounds like before the throne of God. That's a 30-second clip of a caterwauling cat. Many today sound like caterwauling cats. It means to cry. It means to wail. Coming from a root of anger, wrath in the old German. Caterwauling. 
a refusal to be honest before God. An absolute refusal to face honestly and squarely the sin of our heart. And so we wail about it, we weep about it, but we don't want to leave our sin and we want to find some way to hang on to our life and still follow Jesus. Caterwauling people make me sick of heart. I finally just basically stop communicating with this person because all they'll do is caterwaul. They're not serious about Jesus. They won't turn away from their sin. They won't just get before Jesus. Instead, they give me all this theological garbly gook. They give me all their logic and all their reasons. I don't want any logic and I don't want any reasons. I want a man to just come before the throne of God and say, I'm a sinner. Have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy on me. Instead, they sound like caterwauling cats, hoping they'll get a little bit of food, but not ready yet to totally cast off the power of darkness. There's a passage of Scripture in in the book of James. This is the brother of Jesus. He was the head of the church in Jerusalem. And this is what he wrote to his congregation. This is James, the fourth chapter. I'll begin reading in verse 4. You adulterous people. In other words, you people who are out there doubling up. You've got lovers in your, in your work, in your money, in your entertainment. You've got lovers in your formalism and in your rituals. As American churches prepare for Easter, they're preparing great fests of programming, plays. They're going through their rituals. They're going through Lent. It's not about Jesus. It's about their rituals. It's about the traditions of man. He says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. There's no in-between ground and the caterwauling going on right now, perhaps in your life, is because you're trying to push out a little bit of room between the world and God so that you can be comfortable having God as an add-on into your life. God is a means to an end for your happiness. God will never settle for this. He will never allow it. He says, if you choose to be in friendship with the world, you are an enemy of mine. That's the message from Pastor James. Do you think Scripture says without reason that the Spirit He caused to live in us envies intensely? But He gives us more grace. What does that grace do? 
that grace is the divine influence of God to draw us into a decision to stop our caterwauling. It is the grace, the divine influence of God to teach us to say no to unrighteousness, to ungodliness. I've been right in the midst of sin. And the grace of God has come and he said, stop it, Ray. Stop it. Yes, sir. And the grace is given, the divine influence is given to stop that behavior or to stop that that bitter root that begins to rise in the heart, to cut it off. Grace never dwells where sin dwells. You can no more get grace and sin to dwell together than you can get light and darkness to dwell together. You can't. The light overcomes the darkness. It casts it out. I remember as a little boy, I was terrified of the dark. I'd see shapes and forms terrified me. My daddy came home one day and he had the answer. He handed me a new flashlight and he said, Raymond, when you become afraid in the night, just turn your flashlight on and the darkness will run away and you will see the reality that there is nothing there. The curtains are not your enemy. What a relief it was. I took that flashlight to bed with me for years. You know what? I still have a flashlight that I take to bed. It's called the gospel of Jesus Christ. To walk in the light of the glory of Jesus Christ. To not walk in darkness, but to walk in the light. He gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And then he says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. You can't caterwaul. You're going to have to resist the devil. You're going to have to say, I will deny myself. I refuse to participate in this thing of darkness. I am leaving now. The devil will flee from you. Come near to God. He will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, wail. What's he saying? When the Greek, to grieve, is to realize how you have created the darkness you dwell in. You have created your own misery. You are responsible and no one else. You alone are responsible for the rebellion of your heart against Almighty God. To grieve means I no longer look with rose-colored glasses. I no longer will 
There's this cat I shared with you. You're no longer going to sound like this. means you're done with that. <laughs> you're done with it. You're going to recognize the reality of your condition and you're not going to yell about it. You're not going to... You're not going to wail. And then he says, now mourn. Well, what does it mean in the Greek to mourn? It means to allow yourself to feel the pain of your sin, to not escape the pain of your sin by sitting down and watching television, not to escape the pain of your sin by opening the refrigerator and gorging. You're going to feel the reality of your pain. And then it says wail. But not wail as an excuse to continue in it, but instead wailing to God and saying, I give this to you, almighty God. I'm no longer going to walk in this wickedness of my heart. I'm coming to you, Jesus. He says, submit yourselves unto God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. This is the reality Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. He will lift you up. Do you understand today as we come to this precious scripture once more the story of Elijah. I'm turning in my scripture to it. As we come to this story of, of Elijah and Ahab, it's very clear. The Lord is calling us out. The Elijah company is first recognized by its utter, total, complete refusal to accept compromise with Baal, with the devil. I'm not going to walk any longer in the middle. I'm going to be utterly, totally, completely sold out to my Lord Jesus. It means, secondly, that I'm going to begin to ask the Lord, I'm going to begin to intercede with Jesus like Elijah did for judgment upon the nation that would lead them to repentance, not that would be unto destruction. Elijah comes before Ahab and he says, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. He has prayed through and God has granted him the judgment unto repentance and not unto destruction. I love America. 
I love the American people. I don't want this nation to be destroyed. I want this nation to be brought into the judgment of God unto repentance. We must stop our caterwauling. We must stop our wailing and our and our foolishness and our and our dithering between the world and Jesus Christ. We must face honestly our true condition. It's going to take time. You're not going to be able to continue all of your luxury, all of your entertainment. There are two key words that I shared yesterday that I bring back to you today. Your life is going to have to begin to be marked by simplicity and by discipline. Where you set apart that time to pray, to read the word, where you walk in discipline before God, denying yourself, taking up your cross. Your life is going to have to change. A young woman came to the prayer chapel. I hadn't seen her for some time. After the service, she approached me. I said, where have you been? And she said, I've been visiting different churches. I said, what you're telling me is that you've backslidden. Yes. I didn't want to hear this straight word. So I've been going other places. We knelt down. She wept. We prayed. And then she disappeared again. Am I surprised? No. No, I'm not surprised because it's not easy to deny myself and take up my cross and follow Jesus. I still live in the American lie in a culture that has the American lie that the highest good is to be happy. It's a lie from the pit of hell. It's the heart of humanism. The highest good is not for me to be happy. The highest good is for me to be holy, to be changed into the likeness of Jesus, to be transformed. So the Elijah Company that I am calling for at the National Prayer Chapel They will refuse to accept any compromise with darkness. They will cry out to the Lord for judgment and repentance, beginning with their own life, and the life of their family, and the life of their local church, and then the nation. They will be hidden away. That's the sign of the Elijah Company. He seems to come from nowhere and begin to speak this piercing word. He's not going to be from a big, well-known organization. 
He's going to seemingly come from nowhere, but it will not be from nowhere. It will be out of a very intense prayer closet experience where he's been transformed and transported into the heavenlies where he has heard the voice of God. Now the Lord had him sit beside that brook. He did not send him to the Ritz-Carlton. He didn't send him to a, to a beautiful hotel. He sent him out beside a brook, and there he had the ravens come and drop bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook of water. But as he's sitting there, he notices the brook is slowly drying up because there is a drought in the land. And one morning when he gets up, he goes to the brook, perhaps to wash, perhaps to get another drink. And the brook has dried up. Now part of what you need to understand and I stand by faith on is that provision will come from the hand of God. Provision will come from the hand of God, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. When one has joined the Elijah company and no longer walks in compromise with darkness, whose heart is for the salvation of the nation. Even though they are hidden away and seemingly a nobody, God will send them provision from his hand. I'm experiencing that with this radio broadcast. And let me just take a moment to tell you what has happened. When we started this week, we were more than $2,000 short for radio for this month. Yesterday, I received another $500 for radio. We're now $900 short. I am standing by faith that God will move in the heart of his people to provide that last $900. It's not due until next Tuesday. I'm standing by faith that God will move in the heart of his people to provide what is necessary that we could continue this broadcast next month. Now, just very quickly, if you would like to call and share in that last $900, I'm going to give you a phone number. We do not take credit cards. I will not participate in the debt deal. Many people have said to me, Pastor, you would receive much more if you would just take credit cards. I'm sorry, I'm not interested in credit cards. I'm interested in a man or a woman who responds to the call of God and simply sends the money at the command of God, inconveniencing themselves, not in the moment of emotion, but a settled belief 
I am to participate in making this broadcast be on the air. So quickly call, please, 877-534-0780. I'm praying we don't have to take a whole day to do an offertory for this last $900. I will if necessary, but I'm praying that today you would call and simply tell Brother Kevin my pledge is this amount and we could get this thing covered, finished. 877-534-0780. You're welcome to call right now. Brother Kevin is at the phone and he'll take it. You don't need to go on air. Just give the amount. You don't need to give your name or phone number. Just the amount that God is calling you to give. The Lord knows whom he's calling. And the Lord knows who he's called to sacrifice. 877-534-0780. You're also welcome to call and go on air. Just tell Brother Kevin when you call in, I'd like to talk to Pastor. I'd like him to pray for me. I'll be happy to do that. Now he's sitting beside the brook. The brook has dried up. And he knows he has to go somewhere else. He can't stay and die in the desert. And that's when the word of the Lord came to him. Usually the word of God does not come to us until the brook is almost dry or completely dried up. That's been my experience time after time after time. The brook is almost dried up for this radio broadcast. We're 900 short. I'm trusting the Lord to say, do this, go here. He said to Elijah, I have commanded a widow in Zarephath of Sidon to supply you with food. Now that's the last place Ahab would look for him because that was the home territory of the wicked wife Jezebel. And who would think that he would go to Jezebel's land? So he begins the journey to Zarephath. And when he comes to the town gate, there is a widow there gathering sticks. He calls to her and he asks her, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? And as she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son, that we may eat it and then die. This woman was in a desperate situation. They were going to have one more small meal together, and then they were going to starve to death. All hope was gone. The Lord loves to step into situations where all hope is gone. Elijah says to her something very unusual. He says, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, 
But first make a small cake of bread for me from what you have, and bring it to me, and then make something for yourselves and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. Astonishing. Now this woman, who is not a follower of Yahweh, must make a decision based on what she has heard about the God of Israel. Will she submit to the God of Israel and make first a little cake for Elijah? God always wants to test a person before he brings the provision. He wants to know what is in our heart. When everything looks impossible, when everything looks like it is lost, then our heart is revealed, either a bitter spirit, an accusing spirit, a grumbling heart. Elijah is the man who brings the message that uncovers from God the true heart of a person. He's coming now to uncover your heart. He wants to uncover your heart. He wants you to stop caterwauling. He wants you to face the true condition of your life before a holy and righteous God. He wants to know, is your trust in God or is your trust in Baal? Is your trust in the God of this world or is your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? Will you surrender all that you are and all that you have into the hand of Almighty God? Or are you going to continue caterwauling? Go home. Do as you've said. But first make a small cake of bread for me. And from what you have, bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. The word of God comes to us when we have denied ourself when we no longer are going to compromise with the powers of darkness, when we are going to turn our full attention to the crying out before God for judgment under repentance in America, we're going to turn aside from all of the wickedness of this world. We're going to turn the television off and the video games off. We're going to turn off all of those things of the flesh and we are going to focus our entire attention upon Jesus. We're going to come to him and we're going to repent to him. And then we're going to be saved by the power of the Holy Spirit. How long does that take? Well, for some of you, it may take a month. Because you're a long, long ways from Jesus. Some of you, it may take a day. But I'll guarantee you, it will take time. 
You're going to have to go before God and let him deal in depth with every issue of your heart. You're going to have to let the fire of God come and burn out that wickedness. You're going to have to let the grace of God come into your heart and that divine influence bring you through in victory, in reality. Being totally washed and made clean. Having the dragon not just chained in your heart, but slain in your heart, destroyed. Oh, I know many of you are going to say, Pastor, we can never get rid of that inner struggle with darkness. That's a lie. The Bible teaches we can deal with that inner dragon by the blood of Jesus Christ and be set free. Elijah says to her, don't be afraid. I say to you today, don't be afraid. Jesus will come. Jesus will come. So God brings provision, the provision of grace. Now let's be very clear. The reign of the Holy Spirit has stopped in the American church. We are now controlled by positive thinking and by rituals, by cold formalism. We are ruled by marketing gurus. We are ruled by pastors who are hail fellow well met who are foolish talkers. The pulpits of America no longer burn with righteousness. Instead, they burn with entertainment. They don't burn with the blood and the confrontation of sinners. Instead, the concern is church growth. Let's be successful said to one pastor, is your church a worldly church? He said, oh, yes. He didn't miss a beat. He said, oh, yes. I said, why? We do these things to draw the people in in the hopes that maybe a few of them can be brought to Jesus. So I said, the whole congregation has been brought in with entertainment, with fun and games, with jokes, with socials. Yes. We're hoping that somehow we can Bring Jesus to them as they're sitting in the pew. What a lie. They'll never bring that congregation to Jesus. If they begin to lift up the cross and they begin to lift up righteousness and repentance, that congregation will be gone in the blink of an eye. They're pagans spray-painted with Christian faith. They're still sons of the devil. They're still filled with the venom of the viper. You haven't seen angry until you see people who are called Christians confronted with their idols and told that they must walk away from them. Oh, then they get very angry, very upset. 
this precious woman goes home and does exactly what Elijah has told her to do. This is 1 Kings 17. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family, for the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word the Lord spoke by Elijah. The rain has stopped in the American church. And now a time is coming when we're going to have a Mount Carmel in America. I'm very concerned about that. I know there is going to be revival in this nation. I know voices are going to be raised up to confront the wickedness of this nation. But Mount Carmel was very, very short-lived. The government came down hard on those who proclaimed righteousness. The government powers would not allow for righteousness to be preached in the land. And in America, we will be shut off the radio we will be shut off the television. We will be shut off the internet. Because this wicked nation, if it does not repent, the government will stand in opposition to Jesus Christ. They already do. We see Christian persecution in America. At every level of government, from county school boards, state, and especially federal. We see the persecution already beginning. I'm heavy of heart today because the rain has stopped and there is a famine in the land for the hearing of the word of God. Oh, there's not a famine for the church. There's not a famine for the preaching of prosperity. There's not a famine for the preaching of entertainment or of cheap and greasy grace that allows you to continue to walk in your sin. That's very popular, and it's on every airwave That preaching will not bring you into salvation. It will bring you into damnation. So now I want you to, I want you to get this picture. God is calling for an Elijah company now in America. He is calling for men and women who will lay down their popular entertainment church. He's calling men and women to come around pastors and teachers who will faithfully lift up a rebuke for sin, 
who will faithfully lift up the gospel of Jesus Christ and say you no longer have to walk in the dominion of darkness. You can be totally delivered from the dragon and his venom. God is calling now for people to leave, to come out of wicked worldly churches and to band together with those the Holy Spirit will lead them to that are going to teach a straight, uncompromising message. As Brother David Wilkerson from Times Square Church said to me, Ray, preach judgment with mercy. That's judgment unto repentance. These people will not be popular if you are desiring to be in a church where you have all the social connections and you can further your business, where you can always have wonderful fellowship with other people and go to the, to the parties at home. If you want a place where you can always talk about football and baseball and all the other entertainments of the world, then you will not be a part of the Elijah company. These are false gods. You will be instead hidden away where you can begin to grow in a boot camp environment led and directed by the Holy Spirit as he brings you into a place of purifying your heart, cleansing your spirit, and causing you to walk humbly before God, loving your brother and your sister. You will be marked by love and compassion for others. You will not be marked by arrogance. You will not be marked by a spirit of pride and judgment against others. That's a sure sign that you do not yet know Jesus. I just recently talked with a young man, a handsome young guy, strong. But he was so concerned about righteousness, but at the same time he was so concerned about his prideful judgments of others. When you find a man marked by pride, you know he is not a man or woman of God. The mark of God is humble love for the brothers and the sisters. You're going to have provision from God that will come into your life. You are going to know that the job you have came from the hand of God. You are going to use your job as a place of ministry, a place to practice loving others and serving others and helping others others on the journey. Every Elijah company member will be looked upon in their place of employment as a humble servant, not as a loud mouth, not as a troublemaker, not as someone who shrinks the responsibility but always wants to talk about the Bible. No, that's not the Elijah company. 
you are going to see a people who walk in the provision of God. And you are going to be preparing for Mount Carmel. For there is going to come a time when the gospel of Jesus will become very, very public. We are looking for complete death and resurrection in your life. Are you caterwauling today? Are you pretending that you want to follow Jesus, but you keep going back to your sin? You've never gotten serious enough with Jesus to just finally say, I've had it. I've got to follow Jesus Christ. Where are you today? Please, I want to pray for you. Lord, I lift up my brother and my sister. I'm asking that you would send forth your Holy Spirit in great power today. I'm asking that the dragon, the venomous serpent, could be driven out of the life of every one of your people. I'm asking that your people would come before you with humility and say, Jesus, I must have you. This caterwauling must stop. I must have the victory. I cannot live without the victory. I must have the victory. I can't live in this desert any longer. I can't dwell in this place of darkness any longer. I must have the victory, Jesus. Oh, Lord, I pray you call your people into the prayer closet. I pray you call them out of their casual religion, that you call them out of their laid-back, worldly lifestyle. I pray you energize them by the coming of grace into their heart and into their life. That, Lord, they would turn to you and be filled by your Spirit. And win the victory. In the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm praying today that we can have the victory very quickly this month for radio. I'd rather not even talk about the finances, but I recognize that contributing is a part of worship. Getting some skin in the game for Jesus. So I ask, please, would you just step forward and say, yes, pastor. The Holy Spirit is calling me to give for this straight word to go forth over Washington. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.org.
NationalPrayerChapel.com NationalPrayerChapel.com There you'll find this video and many others. You'll find podcasts. You'll find where we meet, how you can be a part of the Elijah Company. God bless you, my brother, my sister. You've been listening to Pastor Ray Greenley. I'm from the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. God bless you. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, with great